Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about finding a balance between work, rest, and play. So before we get into it, I just want to give you a couple of quick updates. I'm going to start a new format with a podcast. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start every podcast with a small piece of fiction or poetry that I've written. Um, then I'm going to talk about you know the topic that I want to talk about, and then I'm going to finish with some Q&A. The reason I'm doing it this way is because, well, I want to be consistent And secondly of all, I want to provide a platform to share some of my fiction and poetry with you guys because um, through some questions and on my social media and that sort of stuff, you've suggested some interest in me sharing more of my fiction and poetry here because then you can listen to it. And I think it's a good way to kill two birds with one stone. So moving forward, I'm going to read some fiction, do a little bit of discussion, then some Q&A. And if you have some Q&A for me, feel free to contact me on social media at Zach P. Phillips. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest or via my website at zachary-phillips.com. Thanks. So this piece is called The Venus Flytrap, and it's part of the Daily Grind anthology. Sighing, Johnson sat down for what felt like the millionth time and began to fiddle with a plastic plant that was situated neatly in the corner of his desk. Another generic faux fern, identical in every way to the faux ferns that were found on most of the desks on the floor. A blowfly lazily buzzed past one ear and around past the other, circling his head like a passenger jest waiting for approval to the runway for a final descent. Buzz. Buzz. Buzz buzz. With his half-hearted attempt to shoo the fly away failing, Jonathan sighed once more and shook his head. Buzz. Buzz. Buzz buzz. This time, Jonathan's more concerted effort merely caused the fly to take some quick evasive action, easily dodging Jonathan's aggressive swipes. Muttering something inaudible under his breath, he placed his hand, head into his hand and continued to work on the Smith account in front of him. Buzz. Buzz buzz. He really missed his Venus Vart trap, regularly reminiscing over the earthly smell that would emanate from the pot. Although subtle, it still served as a welcome counterpoint to the staleness of the officer's recirculated air. Adding to that small pleasure was the not-so-slight satisfaction to be gained from watching the trap's trigger-point reflex snapping its jaw down on an unsuspecting fly. It was like watching Animal Planet in miniature. The tension, the waiting, the sudden snap, and of course, the frantic buzzing of the hapless victim. In its heyday, the trap had shortened the lives of hundreds of relatives of his current insect annoyance. These brief moments of excitement punctuated the otherwise monotonous nature of Johnson's workday. He even purchased a novelty name tag in the style of the top floor execs, complete with the traditional 12-point black professional font printed over a gold plate. It was attached to the base of the pot and served as a daily conversation starter. Mr. Exterminator was quite the rage. At one stage, there was a weekly pool where pundits would place bets on the trap's kill count for the week. To facilitate this, Johnson not only collated and organised the payouts, but would also retrieve the remnants of the flies' consumed corpses, held in a small stationary jar in the top of Johnson's desk. It was used as evidence of the winner's predictions. Buzz. Buzz buzz. I'll buzz you. With increasing intensity, Johnson began swatting at the fly, which is now assuming the role of a fighter pilot. Buzzing loudly, the fly aggressively rolled and banked, as if engaged in a classic World War II dogfight. Johnson made three unsatisfactory swipes at the fly, hitting his desk hard with each swipe. A few curious heads briefly popped up from their desks, but lost interest quickly. The sight of Johnson's face reddening in frustration at being outwitted by a fly had become all but part of the course. Originally, employees were allowed to keep live fauna on their desks. That was, until Bilson from Accounting had the great idea to grow a pot of cherry tomatoes. They're great for snacking, 
Bilson and his snacks. He always had something in his mouth. At least cherry tomatoes were a healthy option for a change. However, when Bilson had to take the week off to overcome food poisoning acquired from the local hot dog vendor, his tomatoes began to rot and fall onto the ground. Objectively, it was no big deal. But when the Stooges from OH&S walked past one of their, in one of their routine inspections, they noticed the inherited slippage risk and promptly decided to take action. The next morning, we were all greeted with the same generic memo. Management regrets to inform you that henceforth, all office plants need to be of a synthetic nature. The safety risk posed by organic leaf litter is too great to justify their continued cultivation. All organic plants must be removed by the end of day. Any remaining plants will be disposed of. To compensate for this change, management had agreed to provide all employees with a faux fern replacement. Team leaders will inform you when these will be available for your collection. Most employees followed the directive without objection, having previously submitted to the coffee ban. Coffee and mugs could spill, posing a scolding risk. Scheduled toilet breaks. Scheduling toilet breaks ensures the most efficient use of organisational resources. And the introduction of a uniform. A free dress code could cause discrimination and objectification based on individual and cultural preferences. Thus, the organic plant ban was accepted as just another action of a hyper-risk-adverse, bureaucratic machine to be followed and not questioned. The only one to raise a vocal objection to management was Bilson himself, who, with a hint of a chuckle, pondered, What will I snack on now? Even though it would be the end of the betting pool, Johnson had of course obliged without any form of protest, other than muttering a quick word at the end of the week's drinks that, Management likes to overreact, hey? But with that, he removed the trap and replaced it with the fern. Buzz. Buzz buzz. Not wanting to cause a further scene, this time Johnson decided to play it cool. Breathing deeply and slowly, he just observed the fly. Rather than just watching Anaplanet in miniature, as he had with the trap, he was now living it. He was the lion stalking its prey, waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike. The fly, seemingly unaware of the target now painted on its back, settled down for landing. Tentatively, it touched upon the leaves of the faux fern, but was unsatisfied. Johnson, evoking a lion's instinct, just waited. The fly tried the lamp, but was still unsatisfied. Breathing deeply but silently, Johnson continued to wait. He wanted that fly to feel safe and settled before it would strike. The fly tried and discarded two more potential landing places, eventually settling on the papers directly in front of Johnson. Grinning, Johnson prepared himself, and with the keen reflexes of a predator guiding his hand, he acted. His fist swiftly came down, completely ruining the fly, as well as the top page of the Smith account. Once again, heads briefly popped up. This time in response to Johnson's audible cry of elation, quickly followed by his loud use of a profanity. Looking down, Johnson realised that the fly had ruined the last 30 minutes of his work. So that piece was called Venus Flytrap, and it's part of a new series that I've called The Daily Grind. And a little bit about this series, basically it's it's a little bit on the nose, but it's a parody of my feelings about the corporate world. I, I dislike I dislike how time consuming and all encompassing this money drive and focus from corporate the corporate world is. It seems to for a lot of people suck the life out of them and sort of twist the goals of humanity to be just absolutely just focused on money and taking away a lot of the aspects of humanity. So this this short story and there's a there's another one up and I'm writing currently writing a couple more to go in this series um will be up and available online. Um and if you want to read this story or the other ones in the series, 
head over zachary-phillips.com slash fiction, and you can check out the rest of this series as well as the other series that I've got up. And I'm going to be, yeah, like I said, in the podcast moving forward, I'm going to be talking and sharing more of my short fiction in addition to the talks that I'm doing. So what I wanted to talk to you about today is finding a balance between work, rest and play. And this is something that I'm in the process of trying to work through myself. I personally struggle to relax. And what I mean by that is, is that I find holidays and weekends and time off, quote unquote, quite challenging. I find it almost a a, a mental health affliction issue to be stationary or not doing something to benefit myself. And as you would imagine, this this tends to lead me to doing a bunch of work and then crashing. I will be fine for ages and be able to keep this up, keep this up, keep this up. And then all of a sudden I run out of spoons, for example, and I just crash. And if you're not sure what the spoon theory is, Google it, read it. Actually, I'll link it to you below because it's a very quick read on on a theory that will very much add to your life and become a part of your everyday vernacular. So that's called the spoon theory. I'll link it. But basically I run out of energy eventually and I crash. And when I crash, it leads me to days or weeks of depression and just puts me in not the best, best place moving forward. And then it takes me a while to recover and get back out of it. So what I'm trying to do is find a balance between working enough or like, you know, working as much as possible because I've got so much that I want to do, so much I want to write, so much I want to create and produce and do with a healthy amount of rest. Because in the past, I've gone down the path of, well, I'm not feeling that great, so I'm going to rest. But the problem is, is I went too far down that path and I was just resting and I ended up finding myself lazing around on the couch for, for days and counseling work and not exercising and not doing anything to benefit myself or move closer to my dreams or goals and just basically, you know, quite lazy. And I call it laziness as opposed to, for example, a symptom of depression, because if you think about it, and I've spoken to people about this and they're like, but surely you need to just rest and relax. You're, you're depressed. It's part of the you know mental illness. And whilst I do agree, there is a distinction and I'm, I'm starting to work out the difference between laziness and symptoms of depression. And there is a, there is a defining point in there and it's, it's hard to articulate, but the more you start focusing on it and working yourself out, the more you'll be able to work out if you're actually feeling depressed or if you're feeling lazy. At least in my experience, I was able to do that and I'm trying to work towards it. But unfortunately, like I've said, I've moved down to the path of going too far the other way where I'm just constantly on and working. I'll be teaching, then I'll come home and I'll do some writing or podcasting or vlogging. And then I'll go and do some Brazilian jiu-jitsu training and then I'll come home and I'll do some more research or some other sort of things that is, you know, helping me to advance myself in some way. And whilst this is great and I've made great leaps, something like what happened this weekend inevitably does happen to me. And to give you some backstory, on Thursday night, I had a mini panic attack. And this was just before I went out to see the Aladdin musical. 
if you haven't seen it, it's touring in Melbourne at the moment and it's amazing. Check it out. But just prior to leaving the house, I had a slight panic attack and I'm like, okay, that's fine. I've dealt with them before, you know, acknowledge the symptoms, accept what's happening, take a breath, meditate, etc. And I was fine. Went out and don't get me wrong when I say this, the musical was Broadway level quality. It's touring the world. It was incredible, but it was quite overwhelming in terms of a stimulus as in like, you know, loud music, bright colors, amazing experience. But for me, I'm, I'm fairly, despite talking on camera and doing podcasts and that sort of stuff, I'm fairly, I'm fairly introverted and it was a lot to take in. So I was already in a bit of a bad mental state and I was just blasted with this extreme amount of stimulus. From there, I was already feeling overworked and that sort of stuff. And I didn't rest. I kept working. I kept pushing. And what I've noticed is the level of quality of my work when I get into this stage begins to drop. And I find myself not being able to produce what I want to be able to produce. And that leads to feeling guilty. And then self negative self-talk comes in and it just gets into this terrible spiral. And then by Saturday, I was just a complete mess. Um, you know, quite, quite down and depressed. I'm, I'm talking just not being able to get out of bed or, you know, sort of function in any capacity when I, when I feel quite low and I've, I've done a podcast on this called what depression feels like. Basically my, my coordination drops. I'm, you know, I'm not that hungry. I can't think it's, it's not a fun place to be, of course. So then I'm like, okay this isn't good. I've clearly overworked myself. I need to rest and relax. So Saturday and Sunday today, I decided to do what I could to just recover and recuperate. So on Saturday, I just rested and watched TV as in watched a series on Netflix. And today I decided to get more proactive and um, do a bunch of things that I know benefits my mental health. Um, and what I tried today was to do something that I like calling changing the context. And for me, changing the context basically means working out where I am and taking a drastic action to change that in some capacity. So I know that personally exercise really works for me. So I decided to go all out and just spend the day doing a variety of different exercises so if you're following me on Instagram, you would have seen the stories that I posted today. I did weights in the morning, then I went for a 7K run and a 20-minute swim, and then an hour and a half of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I've been basically just exercising all day. Now, that has had, obviously, the, the given impact of an endorphin rush. Um, exercise is great for that. But what it also does is it gets me completely out of the context. I'm out of the home. I'm away from the computer. I'm away from the phone and I'm just using my body. It's a completely different context to what I'm in. After that, I went out for dinner and got myself some spicy food because once again, it just jolts the system and changes. So what I was able to do from that was to quickly change the context, get myself into a different mental state and start to improve and feel better and see some clarity from that. So now I'm on the back end of that. I'm back home after dinner and I'm feeling quite good, which is why I'm feeling like I'm going to record the podcast because I wanted to share it while I was still sort of active in my mind. And obviously, you know, the counter to this is like, oh, well, aren't you just 
rushing or pushing yourself too far with the exercise. And look, maybe you're right, but I always prioritize my mental health. So if there's a chance that, you know, physically getting tired and doing a bunch of exercise in one day is going to impact my mental health physically and get me out of a rut, I'm more than happy to to take the risk of overdoing it physically for the sake of my mental health. And, you know, I'll, I'll report back on how I handle this, but I, once again, if you follow me, I'm fairly active every morning I'm doing weights or running and every night I'm doing jujitsu. So I'm fairly fit in that regard. So it's just a little bit extra on top of what I usually do. But the point is, is I want to try and find that balance. So finding the balance between work, rest and play. Have you found yourself in this situation? So I want to throw it back to you that you've gone one or two ways. You've, you know, you've gone too far one way or too far the other way in the sense that have you been overdoing it with work? And by work, I don't mean just where you work. I mean, it's it's following your dreams. It's getting after it in some capacity. Have you gone down that path too hard and neglected the the rest and play aspects of your life? Or alternatively, have you gone too far down the resting approach and found yourself sort of stagnating and not getting anything done? And if you have, how have you dealt with that? So before I get onto the questions that you guys have written in, I want to encourage you guys to keep writing them in. I'm happy to answer your questions directly. And what I do a lot of the time is I'll I'll answer them briefly wherever you've sent them to me, but also for the ones that I'm really enjoying or really think that other people would appreciate or learn something from, I'm going to share it on a podcast so that I can go into a bit more depth. So if you want to leave me a question, please do so. Connect with me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, or YouTube at Zach P. Phillips. You'll find me there or via my website at Zachary-Phillips.com. So onto the Q&A and I've got two today. The first one is, I've been seeing that your book, How to Get Your Shit Together, is coming out sometime soon. Can you give us an update on when that is? Yes, I can. I'm nearly through the first draft and I'm wanting to have it done early next year. My initial goal was to have it done by early February, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to get it out that quick. And I could rush it and get through it and put it out, but I really want to make this book the best that I can. I want it to be a functional, usable resource that you guys will get something from and I want it to be perfect. So I'm hoping, hopefully, to have it out, you know, in the first few months of next year, but I'm more than comfortable delaying that until I'm completely satisfied that it's a product that will be very useful because I want it to be basically a book that you can access and read and use that will you can keep coming back to it and that sort of stuff. And I don't want to just get through it real quickly just to get it out there. I want it to be, well, yeah, like I said, perfect. So I'll keep you updated on the release date, but the priority is number one, making the best product I can. And number two, not forcing myself to produce something if that's going to impact my mental health. Because the other side of things, if I set a hard deadline, then it might sort of stress me a bit too much to to get it out and then I'll feel rushed and that sort of stuff. So my goal is to get it out when it comes out. But like I said, some summer time around early next year. And yeah, I'll keep you updated on when that's coming out. But thanks for the question. 
The second question was, given your past and what you've gone through, what are you finding has the largest impact on you now and how do you deal with it? So if you've read my first book, Under the Influence, you'll know that I've had a fairly challenging past and there's a few instances in the book where I talk about aspects of sexual assault and drug issues that my father and the people that were coming to his house were doing and a lot of lot of those sort of things. Um, and whilst they do come back and sort of challenge my mental state, when they do, it is highly impactful, but they pass fairly quickly. So in those instances, I would say those moments and dealing with those are the biggest issues and how I deal with those are to just heaps of self-care and talking to a psychologist about it and just knowing that it'll pass. Um, and it's a constant battle of dealing with that and working through what it is and knowing that I'm safe now. But as a general thing from the past, the biggest thing that impacts me is a lack of knowledge. Growing up, my father wasn't really there for me, like from a from a from a sort of a leadership or a mentor role. He just he was physically there, but he just wasn't really emotionally or intellectually there. He didn't teach me much. And there's a lot of time where I'm discovering things that I just don't know how to do, that I've had to teach myself or that there's just gaping holes in my knowledge. You know, from the cliche of not knowing how to shave to basically being able to run a house and maintain general cleanliness to knowing that if there's something I want to do, I can get go on the internet or find a book or whatever and teach myself. So basically there's there's a bunch of stuff in my life that I know that I don't know now, but growing up, I was unaware of that. I was unaware of my lack of knowledge. So the the the, the main thing that I'm finding impacts me to this day is discovering things that I just don't know about, discovering things that I just don't know how to do. So how do I deal with that? Well, I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm reading a lot, read all the time, and I'm on a journey to discover the things I don't know. And one of the things that I I quite struggle with myself is physical or, or like sort of handyman tasks. So now when something goes wrong and I need someone else to fix the problem because I don't have the knowledge, I will be actively watching and engaged and asking just to make sure that I'm getting that knowledge into my head because, yeah, I don't know it yet. And in the past, I would, you know, demean myself or bag myself like, oh, you're stupid or you don't know this thing or, you know, I'm just not good at that task. It's like, well, maybe I'm not good at it naturally or alternatively, maybe I've never been exposed to it. So when I do find deficits in my knowledge or my capabilities, I will get someone to show me and help me with it and I'll try and actively learn what they're doing to fill those gaps. And it's it's just a constant battle and it's always it's always interesting when I'm like, oh, I discovered something. It's like, oh, so people just know how to do this thing because, you know, they were taught. So that's that's really the biggest the biggest impact that I'm finding to this day. So yeah, guys, thanks for listening. And if you've got a question, please, by all means, send it in. I'm on the social medias at Zach P. Phillips. Thanks.